Welcome to episode 37 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre. On Stageworthy, I might talk one-on-one with an actor, director, playwright, or producer, or I might get a group of people together to talk about a specific aspect of theatre in Canada. If you'd like to be a guest on Stageworthy or just want to drop me a line, you can find Stageworthy on Facebook and Twitter at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. Adriana Prosser is a storyteller. She's a playwright, actor, geek, and social media guru, as well as a host and producer for the educational web series Cranium Cookie and creator and performer of her hit one-woman show, Everything But The Cat. If you enjoy the podcast, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or Google Music or whatever podcast app you use and consider leaving a comment or rating. birthday gift to see um, Anna Green Gables and that the school trip was going to see um, the Secret Garden at Elgin Theatre because for obvious reasons the garden, the winter gardens there Um, and I loved it so much uh, that my mom was like oh wow this is something that she's really into let's foster that Um, and then I saw Phantom of the Opera I believe for my 7th birthday um, and I was completely amazed by it. And, I, and after I left the theater, uh, I, I told my mom, I'm like, uh, I want to be Christine Daae. <laughs> and she's like, silly, that's an actor. It's not a real person. And I went, what? <laughs> and thus the idea of me playing pretend for a living was born. So, yes. I mean, the fact that you were sitting through live theater at that age is, is pretty rare. Not a lot of kids can, can do that. Um, were you just taught well about movie theater and stuff? Like, no, I, I mean, yes. I mean, I love my parents, mm-hmm. and they are good parents. But um, I, think, I think I have one of those blind like blinders on um, like like horses with their blinders on so they only see what's in front of them um, because when I'm reading the world is gone okay. when I watch TV the world is gone when I'm working on a project the world is gone much to the detriment of my loved ones who are always yelling Adri Adri <laughs> Adri why aren't you listening to me I've been calling you for like half an hour um, and and I think I get that from my dad because when he <laughs> when he plays video games my mom would recall the, the Larry Larry what you, I, like the house could be on fire. Um, we're just very focused individuals, us processors. Um, so I don't know. I think I think it was just it's just a lucky personality trait as well. Like yeah. there are just some people who are very yeah. good at being still. That kind of focus really is, is kind of like a nerve brain thing. It really in is. In some ways, like that, that kind of being able to focus. Like, this is the thing you're doing, and it becomes like the whole. It becomes your whole world. Yeah. yeah. No, I guess that's true. Yeah, it does lend itself to my nerddoms as well. Because I get yeah. very passionate and I can be very, 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 very focused. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when you were, when you decided that you were going to play pretend for a living, um, when did you figure out that it was a thing, you know, to do for a living? Because, you know, when, when a lot of kids, you know, the occupations that they are aware of are the ones they want to do, so they want to be a policeman, a fireman, uh, an astronaut. Um, those sorts of things, it's rare that... Like, a thing that one can do. Well, thanks to my mother spilling the beans that this was actually a career choice, um, I think I think all was lost because up until that point, I mean, that was around the time that I was becoming obsessed with um, with Back to the Future as well, right? And uh, and then understanding, you know, having that snowball effect of like, well, if if Christine Daae and, you know, fan of the opera guy isn't real, yeah. then all of these people are for fake? All of these people do this? Yeah. 
And so that realization, I think, was a nice big snowball of, oh my goodness, all of these people are playing pretend for money, <laughs> you know, or at least get to do it as, as their job from as much as, you know, a seven-year-old can understand that as well, right? But that people want them to do this, people, you know, expect this of them, and, uh, and playing pretend was like the best thing in the world is the best thing in the world. Um, so I think, because, like, there was, you know, how every kid wants to do a thing. Like, mm, I think I wanted yeah. to be a marine biologist. I don't know why. <laughs> I haven't really ever had, like, a penchant for dolphins or anything like that. I don't even know where that came from. And then... Did, 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 like, did you really for a while? You to be for, for realsies, yeah. Um, I definitely had all of the the nerd nerd cred stuff like I had the microscope with like the whole like that wooden case with the slides and everything like this oh yeah um didn't go as far as getting a telescope because my mom I think weighed her options and and she got the microscope instead of the telescope much to my chagrin because Doc Brown in Back to the Future is just like all about showing Clara the constellations and and about space and time travel so I know that I was a little sad about that um, but yeah, like all of these very nerdy pastimes and whatnot. But at the end of the day, it, it was better to think, but I could play a marine biologist, but I could play a scientist, but, and, you know, and be a race car driver the next day or whatever. Like I could do whatever I wanted because playing pretend was a job. Right. When, like, do you, when did you start actually doing like even as a, as, a, as a kid before you go to the paper, do you remember what you I was in the uh, school play, and it was back before I moved, so I was in grade three, grade three, mm-hmm. and it was the trial of the big bad wolf, mm-hmm. and I was in that. Lord knows what I actually played in that play. I just remember it being the Big Bad Wolf. I think I was like one of the one of the little creatures from the forest because, like, I was in grade three, and you know when it's like a a, a children's show, they they fill the the bigger roles with like the grade eights, right, right, and then whoever else is interested or roped into it for that matter. So I think I might have been like one of the three little pigs' friends or something. I might have been a chipmunk for all I remember. But I remember that being a thing and that being really exciting. Um, and then the next big thing that I think happened, other than, you know, school projects and and speeches and monologues and stuff like that, was Anne of Green Gables, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah. Of well, course, of course. You, uh, well, if you have red hair, you either embrace that or you spend the rest of your life running from it. Or both of the above yeah. and play Anne of Green Gables regardless because people, <laughs> people like to pigeonhole you. Yeah. But I loved Anne. I absolutely mm. adored Anne. Well, you, I mean, you'd seen Anne of Green Gables as one of your early, early theater experiences. This is true. I always find that your first experience stays with you in a way that um, you'll all pretty much always be fond of it. Absolutely. It doesn't seem to matter what people do to it. It's like you'll always love it. Yeah, yeah. And it helped that it was a protagonist that really spoke to me. Yeah. Um, and that, not and not just superficially, like not just because she had red hair uh, and freckles, but because she was Canadian, because she was very temperamental, and because she had like bombastic, hyper, like hyperbolic tendencies, yeah. which, you know, definitely doesn't happen to me whatsoever. Of course not, of course not. <laughs> and, uh, and, like, the fact that, like, one of my very favoriteest books growing up um, wasn't a book at all. It was it was um, The Tempest, because I liked the... Uh, sorry, it was The Tempest as well. Um, oh, my goodness. Now I'm completely blanking. It was The Tempest and uh, Midsummer Night's Dream with all of, like, the magic and the fairies. Course, yes, 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 yes. Right? Yeah. Um, but the Tempest was even better because there wasn't some silly lovers. Mm-hmm. You could kind of ignore the silly lovers in the Tempest, and you, you could really still, you know what a lot of people still do in Midsummer. Oh well, there's that too. You sort of kind of zone out for a while. Yeah. But I really liked Ariel in the Tempest, mm-hmm. and I would I would search for her parts, and I think it was it was the Charles Lamb as well, like reading that as well. Mm-hmm. So I was really freaking out my mom because mm-hmm. I was like into time travel and Shakespeare. <laughs> And I think she really wanted to push the end of Green Gables because that was more conventional. Of course, yeah. But uh, but overall, I mean, it, 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 that has also stuck with me, not just because it's Anne, but Canadian history and 
you know, I'm really big into Canadian history uh, as a as a lifestyle for that matter. So it's it's really nice to keep circling back to Anne. Yeah, you were sort of mentioning that your mom was. I think it sounds like your mom had difficulty raising a new child. <laughs> well, she's she's a muggle, uh-huh. um, and if she's listening to this, she won't even know what a muggle is. So <laughs> she is a muggle. Yeah. Bless her, love her, because it didn't matter what you know this little wizard wanted. Mm-hmm. She would she would fuel that fire, even right. though she had no idea mm-hmm. how how to be supportive, other than to get me more books right. or yeah. to yeah. take me to that audition mm-hmm. or take me to rehearsal. Right. She was lovely. She is lovely. That's good. That's good. I mean, that's sort of because some people, you know, not only well, some parents have difficulty with you know raising their nerd child, but then to find out that, that child uh, wants to do an unconventional thing with their life mm. and not like go into business or something like that. What's really funny is is that I have never never felt any of that negativity mm. from my family. They have always been one hundred percent. Yes, of course you're going to be an actor. Yes, of course you're going to go to university for acting. And what's funny is is that most recently um, I've been moving away uh, from from acting as more of a, a full-time uh, focus and more of a uh, side and complementary uh, career, uh, more into business, more into marketing, and, and it's that that's getting them out of source. They're just like, but... But what what are, what show are you working on? And I'm like, but I'm not working on a show right now. So it's 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 one of those difficult transitions that, that I found happening in my early thirties because I was no longer uh, happy to not have things mm-hmm. and to struggle with you know paycheck to paycheck. And that's the word is is it is a struggle and and granted I am I am more than happy uh, to struggle for my my passion and my art because like what else is there this is your life and and one must follow and be happy Um, but uh, you know there there are some other other elements at work that restrain me from from being in acting full time and and it is it's it's a it's kind of a growing up of sense yeah. it, it is not you know I'm not a Peter Pan about, about the acting no. it's hard it's really hard yeah it is I think you know it's funny because I know when I was you know I don't think anybody really expressed the difficulty in acting when I was you know a kid teenager no, nobody around me knew and it really wasn't until I went into theater school that people would say actually I had my audition Nobody wants you. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is the reality. You are not special. You yeah. Know? You are not you a, are unique not a unique snowflake. Because there's a bunch of other unique snowflakes who can do just what you do. Right. And the sooner you embrace the fact that everyone's a unique yeah. snowflake um, and that it is equal parts luck, situation, people you know, yeah. you know, and. and yeah okay sometimes networking as well right you, you never know who you're going to meet at yeah. that after party from that show or even just you know growing up you never know that that guy that was in your math class yeah. is now this marketing representative that needs somebody who sounds and looks like you yeah. so you get that commercial because oh my goodness I remember you from 20 yeah. years ago yeah. like it's just it's so many random elements that actually yeah. can go into making what looks like a career um, when really it's a lot of stars aligning, mm-hmm. um, and 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 I say that hopefully that people are not turning this off, being like, "Wow, she's she's jaded," <laughs> but like that there is only so much work you can put into it, and yeah. then you have to let the rest of it go. Yeah, it's true. I, it's fine. I think that if I had not discovered um, how much I enjoyed making my own thing, oh yeah, I would not. I don't think I'd be doing. Amen. Because I know people, I know a lot of people, and their career or their attempted career or the career that they left behind, the one they're still working on, is an exhausting. And people I know who have left the business, they will say, one of the reasons I left was because I spent all of my time either looking for auditions, going to auditions, or trying to keep on top of who was the artistic director of where, 
was the marketing like who was this person yeah and so I could chance to meet them and that was exhausting and that was my life and I thought that that was no life yeah and the idea of like okay so I don't have to rely on somebody else to make a thing yeah I can make my own thing well and that's the great that's the great thing about this golden age of production, self-producing YouTube, and and um, you know you can you can buy a studio kit off of Amazon.ca because I did mm-hmm. for like 250 bucks for like a lighting system, a yeah. backdrop. Um, you get a bounce in there. You buy a DSLR from Best Buy, and bam, you can make yourself a web series. I you saw, can do your own I self saw tapes. Okay, well, you need to link me because that yeah. sounds amazing. Yeah, I know. And it's things like that. And that's why I think the way that I've kept my head above water mm-hmm. from the rejections, yeah. from the chance, from all of these things that can get you down is self-producing and, and writing and creating. And I did not ever think that I would become a writer. Mm. And lo and behold, yeah. I have written almost, I don't know, like a, a dozen or so uh, either web series scripts or... Um, Shows for for theater, site specific. You know? Yeah, yeah, and um, one of them is being optioned for the Canada 150 next year. Yeah, the rebellious women teaspoons raised. Oh, that's exactly, that's, that's awesome. I, didn't know that. <laughs> no, I, know. I just found out today. That's amazing. So that they want to put that in um, because again, a lot of uh, women in history get glazed over yes, uh, and you need to read between the lines about what was happening either on the home front with them or the fact that they're completely left out of the picture yeah. uh, so I wrote a story about Mrs. Gibson that, that deals with that and it's a one woman show um, that deals with specifically Mrs. Gibson but also has voices of her neighbors uh, so there's the Mrs. Cummer character and Mrs. Shepherd of the Shepherd line, yes. the, the Shepherd subway station yeah. fame um, and Mrs. Gibson, and they all come together for the first time having tea after Mrs. Gibson comes back from being a fugitive in America. And this is her first at home, which is the Victorian equivalent of like, come over for some tea. Um, and, uh, and they just kind of hang out for the first time in like over 11 years. And she recalls what happens, and, and it's site specific, so so it's in in the house, right, yeah. happening in what I hope people understand is so-called real time. Like yes, it yeah, is yeah. November 1851 right. in this parlor happening mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. and she's recalling what happened. And it's some of the memories play out in real time, like the fire in the house. You know, all of a sudden I'm running through the house and slamming doors and picking up a, a fake baby that's crying and like tossing stuff down the stairs and people are a part of that chaos. Uh, so I'm, I'm really, I'm blessed with, with site-specific inspiration, uh, which has happened a couple times. Like the schoolmistress show at Zion was really cool. I'm, I'm completely floored that um, Canadian uh, literary icon Anne-Marie McDonald came and was like, hey, that was, that was pretty good. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> you came and you saw it and you thought it was okay. Yeah. Um, so it's been really cool to have that as an unconventional means of, of producing and creating because a lot of people, again, in the trappings of being an actor, um, think that they need to be at Stratford. At Shaw, yeah. at Factory, and yeah. like like household name, and you know, and things like that, and it's it's something that I have found is as satisfying. Granted, I would love for Stratford to call me right now. Um, that you, the way that you can express yourself and keep yourself in the so-called game, yeah. or just to keep just to keep moving yeah. you know and keep the passion flowing is to create yeah. you can't you can't stop your momentum and that's one of the ways that I've found has worked nice so which came first for you uh, your love of history or your working for museums um I guess hearkening back to my Anne of Green Gables stuff mm. I think it was something that was an early seed mm. um because I read all of the Anne of Green Gables books right. and that is a snapshot of Canadian history that's what L.M. Yeah. L.M. Montgomery did really well uh, and that she herself was a schoolmistress and was an Edwardian woman, and it really came to be in her books. Uh, and it's the Canadian countryside and whatnot. So I guess, I guess the love of history came first, and then museums was a fluke. Yeah. It was my first job out of university because I can't wait tables because of my redheaded blood. 
Oh, because because when somebody's a bitch to you. I I am Anne Shirley. I will see red. That's why for many years I would not like I did not want to wait tables because I knew somebody would be a, a bitch to me and it would immediately show on my face at yeah. least for like a second and they would know exactly because I yeah. could not I cannot I can't I can't be shit on and like. It would just be, it would be too much of the mask, mm-hmm. you know, the mask yeah. that you have to wear in certain situations, and I just think it would be exhausting to wear that mask as a daily yeah. thing. Yeah, absolutely. Because at the museums, I, I rarely wear a mask. It's, it's mm-hmm. always, yeah, I'm here because I love history and because yeah. I love can- Canadian mm-hmm. um, figures and icons that made this country what it is. And it is very akin to being an actor because I have to read these historical documents and interpret them. Mm-hmm. I get to wear a costume, yep. and I get to interpret. And acting is kind of synonymous with that interpretation. So, how did you start? You were saying you said that um, you know, been doing a lot more things in the marketing realm mm-hmm. lately, and that, and to me, from what I know of you, it sounds like. And that started because you started doing some of that stuff before the museum, some of the museums. True. And then what happened? Like, how, how, what's your road from being uh, an interpreter at the museums to uh, becoming a, a social media expert for one of them? That's very kind. Um, I was gifted this uh, position of uh, social media management and community management. Mm-hmm. Uh, strictly because the curator and the site coordinator were like, oh, please don't make us do it, you do it. <laughs> and because I was more than happy to play on Facebook and yeah. Twitter. And, and to me, that's what it was. It, yeah. was. it was something that I felt like I was getting away with it. And, and it was one of those, you know, love what you do and you'll never work a day in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really understood that unless I was on stage. Right. But then all of a sudden, I felt that way when I was on Facebook, mm-hmm. creating content um, and again, um, creating is, is not just creating character and being on stage, but that I was creating a series of videos and uh, coming up with characters that could best represent the, the sites. I created the Lost Ladies, and I love Myrtle. Myrtle, is, uh, Myrtle the Lost Lady is, is a, a child of my clowning workshops and uh, my historical background at the school and, and she became this entity and character. What are the Lost Ladies? The Lost Ladies uh, they, they all have a, a first name starting with M mm-hmm. mine is Lady Myrtle and Myrtle has a friend named uh, Mildred Milda, Maleficent well no, Millicent, not Maleficent Millicent uh, um, oh my goodness, who else? They, they're all they're all her little friends, and she keeps losing them. <laughs> She's a lost lady, uh, and she likes to get lost in history. And like we play with the word lost, um, she likes to get lost um, all around Toronto at different historical sites. And it was an outreach program that I created through these characters that people could then keep bringing back to Zion Schoolhouse. So it was actually a marketing thing. Uh, It was a tactic to get um, the Zion Schoolhouse, which is obviously stuck at Finch and Leslie, Mm -hmm. to get their programming to leave that place and go to Mackenzie House or go to uh, Steampunk Festival because that's Edwardian. Hey, sci-fi is great, right? It takes you through history too. Um, So there's little videos of them my favorite is when they go to Spadina, um, when we go to the Spadina Museum uh, for their Gatsby party and they get the date wrong and, 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 and hilarity ensues in, in, in the clowning style. And, and they don't speak because they're from the Edwardian times. Of course. So they, there's that silent film aspect to them as well. So it's, it's really interesting because a lot of these design elements that went behind Myrtle and the Lost Ladies as a marketing campaign was really an amalgamation of all of my theater background as yeah. well yeah. and my, my film studies class, Yeah, which was fun. And then, so you, you, you went from just sort of um, playing on Facebook and Twitter and other people decided for me. Okay. Other people started to say, hey, you know that thing that you do for Gibson? Can you do it for us? Mm-hmm. Hey, you know that thing that you just did for Zion? Yeah. It would be really great if you could help us with something like that. 
and it became the other museums asking me for help and best practices. It became other um, actors needing help behind the scenes about their own branding. Yeah. And then it became theater, com theater companies who actually was like, uh, do you think you could do that for us? Mm. And, and I have a very hard time saying no. <laughs> I have some serious FOMO. Yeah. Um, and it, was, it, it has always been my pleasure mm. because that's exactly what I want to do. Is I'm, I'm very selfishly happy to be the, the center of a party. I like being mm. a touch, is, that what, is it a keystone or a touchstone? The thing that like keeps the keystone, the keeps, keystone everything yeah. keeps everything there, and like I like being that the the, the base of how people know each other. Mm -hmm. It's really yeah. selfish of me. I love <laughs> introducing people to people who I think will enrich their lives or make them make them better, right? right. Um, and that happens very much on social media. Mm -hmm. It's all yeah. about networking. Um, you, know, you said that you, you you've helped actors and talked to you about their, their personal branding. Is there something that um, actors or theater companies take for granted about social media or something that they don't do but they should? Uh, I think they should remember the first word in that it is social. Because a lot of, and it's and it's everybody, it's not just actors and theater companies, but, yeah. but like anybody who thinks to use it as a marketing tool, that it needs to be... It, that it will be the answer yeah. and it's not it's complementary to what you're doing it is right. your voice box mm -hmm. it's you know it's your it's your little milk crate that you can stand on right. and people may or may not listen mm -hmm. it's not a direct channel no. to people which a lot of people seem to think that because they're posting on Facebook or Twitter that it's always reaching their their audience mm -hmm. and the answer is no no there are little tiny robots and codes mm -hmm. that prevent that from happening so it's up to you uh, to converse and to yeah. connect and that it's it's a tool to do that mm -hmm. it's not a billboard and it's not a commercial right. be social on social I media think, I mean I've seen a lot of Twitter accounts for example which are all just one way yeah you know it's just they say one thing and often the worst of the ones they say the same thing all three time. times a day yeah, yeah. Oh, if you want me to unsubscribe from you on Twitter say the same thing all the time say the same I hated it yeah or send out all your tweets at once Oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah. Like it's one thing if it's a tweet storm. Yeah. I don't mind a tweet storm. If it's a chat, you, if you're participating in a chat yeah. or whatever, sure. So I mean, don't send all of your advertisements at, at one time of the day, and also don't send the same thing at uh, one time. No, no, because it it's a conversation, and yeah. you wouldn't you wouldn't say, "Hi, Adri. Hi, Adri. Hi, Adri." No. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like you wouldn't repeat. <laughs> It, you, you would engage and you would wait for the, the talk back, right? And I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand about social media is to get involved. Yeah. And, and that is where a lot of people don't understand just how, just how, how much engagement is worth, mm -hmm. um, but also just how much effort it takes. And that social media is not as easy as me saying I'm playing around on Twitter and no, Facebook. Like that's another thing that people take for granted yeah. is, is you know the 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 mom idea of like oh you're just playing on Twitter and it's yeah. like that's not my mother by the way. No. Um, <laughs> but you know like yeah. that idea of how can you make a living out of this? You're playing on Twitter. Right. Um, I don't know what that exit is. Um, but that it's it's so much more than that. Yeah. It is engagement. It is staying on top of trends. And yeah. like that's what theater companies and, and branding needs to do best is yeah. is to be in engaged yeah. and, and I don't know how else to put that it's, no, it's the layers of the word engagement definitely because I know that you know you see all the time the, 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 the Twitter account that only goes one way mm -hmm. that never participates doesn't retweet other people doesn't respond to questions just like I am this is my message and I'm just going to do it and that gets really boring yeah and also nobody really wants to listen to that no because like, it's like that guy who's like the hands over the ears going la 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 yeah. la where it's just like no you, you have to be two way yeah yeah frustrating it is it's really it's really but it's a hard thing for people to, to wrap their head around especially if you come from a more old media background mm -hmm. where things are very static yeah you just like oh I'm just going to um get my you know my ad my, my ad in the paper and I'll just sit back and get broke it's not yeah. the same thing yeah um do you think that it's important for, for actors to be on social media? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I have my own website. Mm-hmm. I have my own YouTube channel. I have my own Twitter. Uh, I do not have a Facebook page because I would rather people go to my website. Uh, and, uh, and I have my own Instagram. Uh, and that's not to say that everything is always about acting. Mm-hmm. My website is, is about all of my creatives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a blog there so that people can see what I'm up to. Yeah. Um, because I also think it's important that, you know, your resume can only say so much. Um, plus, there's things that I can't put on my resume, like yeah. the acting classes that I'm going to, course, yeah. like the web series that I'm in, um, yeah. you know, like all of these things that I can showcase on my website. And also people can get a sense of who I am, um, a persona, and also, like, you can go deeper than a demo reel. Uh, And, you know, and and people have contacted me uh, through my website. Mm -hmm. And because of my website, I've had several people say, well, you know, uh, uh, we watched all of your videos. And I'm like, all of them? (laughs) All of them. Yeah. Okay, what does that mean? (laughs) I once went to an audition for a film. It was a short film. But I walked in, and the casting people greeted me like they were both. Exactly. Because they were on my website and they all watched my videos and things yeah. with me. And it was like, oh, yeah. Like, gave me such a leg up. I feel like Absolutely. I, was, I feel like I got cast because they already had goodwill towards me when I walked into the room. Exactly. And and I've had so many gigs where where that in, in itself has been worth the effort yeah. to to get something up there to to write the blog that you know tells them what I'm up to or why I'm not available yeah you yeah. know like that's the other thing too is is you, you're living your life and they just kind of want to know it's it's a very transparent mm-hmm. age and yeah. and I live my life by that motto of being uh, transparent and authentic mm-hmm. and the best way to do that is to have control of your narrative yeah. uh, but through your own branding yeah. and but it is difficult because when you understand what your branding is, and then a gig comes along that speaks against it, I, I recently just had to walk away from a fantastic project mm. because it dealt with suicide. Mm. And I am a huge advocate for suicide prevention and mental health awareness. And the character herself was, was, seeking, um, was seeking aid to, to end her life. Mm-hmm. And okay. and I had to contact Rain, yeah. and and the character was wonderful, nuanced, mm-hmm. a, a really great short. It would have made a fantastic reel, um, but it was everything against <laughs> what I stand yeah. for. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I totally understand that people could be like, "Well, it, it's just a character, Adrian. You're playing make believe." And I'm like, "But I'm investing yeah. in projects. I'm investing in projects that showcase what I want to work with yeah. and who I want to work yeah. with." Well, I think that, I mean, if you were not somebody who was creating their own stuff, maybe you could do it because mm. you're just, like, taking whatever job comes along. But as soon as you start, produ- like, producing your own product yeah. and attaching your name to something, even if nobody knows, even if nobody knows your fucking name, even if you are, like, not a household name, attaching yeah. your name to something means something, yeah. I think. So that if you are somebody who's, like, making your own thing, you can't, well, you, know, you should, probably should not... If you, like just do something that, that goes against everything that you that you put into yeah. your your life. I have been very vocal uh, and very public about my advocacy uh, since my brother died about five years ago. That as soon as I read it, as soon as I read the script, I I, I knew that I couldn't do it. It would just not be you know on a very simple level in a way that you can talk about it business way. It's not my branding. But also, more so, it's it's not who I want to project, and it's not. And, and hey, hey, you know those those actors out there who can completely disengage yeah. their feelings. I I am completely baffled by that. Yeah. I think it's amazing. I I must be one of those terrible actors that invests and goes maybe a little bit too far. Yeah. But that I would have and and living with that script and like like being in that role. Uh, for an, enough of a period for me to actually bring something authentic yeah. to it and to do a good job, in my view, would mean that I would feel really awkward <laughs> the whole time. Yeah. And it would, it would, it would read. Yeah. I think it yeah. would read. So I, I feel really good about it not, not happening. Yeah. Um, Let's wait for the dogs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we were talking about the plays that you wrote mm. for the, the museums. Um, you created 
Everything But the Cat, which was a play that I think, I mean, you were dealing with your brother's suicide, and you think writing the play helped you oh, yeah. deal with it? Oh, yeah. Um, before that, had you ever thought of like, putting that much of yourself and your story into a project that you were writing? Never. Yeah? Absolutely not. Everything to that point was historical fiction. Like it was, it's, yeah. it's a, it was, it was all representative of what I was reading in diaries and letters and it was, it was other. It was, yeah. it was out of self. Yeah. Um, it was inspired by, by actual events. So, I mean, I guess that's the only other thing that really was akin to. Yeah. Um, but I never, I never thought that that would be anything I would ever want to write about. Um, everything but the cat was something that, uh, you know, when 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 people keep asking you the same question, you know, what happened, how are you, um, and. <coughs> It was really funny that usually when I told the story, the story took about an hour to tell mm -hmm. uh, in a coffee shop or at, in somebody's yeah. living room or at a pub. Um, and at the end, nine times out of ten, because that's how many times I told it, if not more, um, people would say, you know, God, that would be a good show. <laughs> because they were completely wrapped. Of course, yeah. They didn't, they didn't say anything or they would say something and then what happened next? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm like, well, okay, um, I guess I'll keep telling you this story, which I think is completely banal and, yeah. and depressing and terrible. And yet people would, would want to know it. Yeah. People came in from out of town to hear one-on-one -on -one yeah. my story. Granted, most of the time it was a loved one that just wanted to be there for me yeah. and let me you know, let me connect with them. And this was the only thing that I could really talk about because right. it's really overwhelming. Grief is overwhelming. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, friends and and people would be like, yeah, you know, I, I told them that story about you in Vienna. It was really funny. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so that made it into the show. Like, And it was just all of these things where I started piecing it together. And yeah, it was kind of a good show. How long did it take you to put it together? Uh, and once you started working on it, how yeah. long did it take to, to write it? That is a good question. Um, so, 2011, uh, after one year of, of grief, I think I started sorting things mm -hmm. out. Um, and then I believe by 2012, I submitted it to the um, Alumni Theater's uh, New Ideas, New Ideas yeah. Festival. Um, and some lovely people took it on. Uh, they believed in the project, and it went into the reading series, um, and, and it sold out, and I was completely floored. Um, so then I took that, and uh, I started uh, doing it uh, for, like, touring uh, to, to high schools and stuff like this, and, and uh, speaking at events. I do a lot of storytelling events, um, one of the first events before the big for, before the New Ideas Festival, just to see if it was actually a good idea, um, Can Stage has like this incubator um, kind of series, um, and I and I did a ten minute piece there, and and people loved it, and I was like, mm -hmm. okay, I don't know why this is working, but something's working, yeah. and yeah. so um, I worked with. Uh, some fantastic people um, we've got Gray and Jamie um, and, and I'll link you to their fantastic puppet company because I wanted to do shadow puppets because I do believe that the whole story being from my point of view it was important not to get other actors in there because it was my story and not at all the truth like it's my truth like it, it, it did happen but like in no way should other people embody my caricature of the person that I no, represent. No, no, no. Like, it was yeah. just really complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went in and I had this idea of, of shadows, like that shadows of the past or some other dramatic ridiculousness that came to mind. And so I had people act out on a, on a screen so that I could capture their, their shadows. And I interacted with the shadows in real time on stage to represent everybody that I was talking about. Um, and I also got voice actors to do it. Phil Urana, it was, <laughs> it, was, it was really great. Yeah. Um, and and it was really neat how it all came together. And then people kept wanting to see it. Yeah. 
And so I went to a couple high schools. I sold out the Solo Festival in 2014, I believe. 2015, I did a couple high schools. Um, and now that it's 2016, um, I've been doing storytelling events for the past two years, ever since this went and sold out at the Solo Festival. Um, but it's not... I'm not pushing for bookings because now it's a matter of going there, going back there. Right. I can see that that's difficult. That's, yes. You wrote it at a particular time. Yes. And to to perform it, you have to be back in that time. You gotta it's not a, no. Great place to be. It's not. A, it's not a great place to be. And and now I'm also feeling that the story that I want to tell is is the long game. Is now. Is now um, the different conceptions of, of grief, bereavement, depression, and mental illness, and and it's um, the success of everything but the cat um, has prompted me to to keep writing, to keep writing, and and we you you actually. Um, made a fantastic writer's retreat yeah. and and I got some more work done on my web series that deals with uh, the same things that Everything But The Cat does um, but it's an ensemble cast and it's it's a web series format and it's called Two Weeks to Paradise yeah. and and it deals with, with grief um, a sudden loss in the family um, but that the ensemble cast deals with with all of these different um, stigmatized uh, parts of life yeah. and that's where I'm going with it now yeah, so it's really evolved, and who knew? I never knew that this would be a thing that I would be doing. No, of course. I mean, it's funny how, you know, when we're starting out, especially when we're going to theater school or whatever it is that we take, and then we think that our life is going to go a certain way. Yeah. And we're like, oh, it's gonna, this, yeah, this is exactly what's going to happen. And it's never quite that long. No, it's you not know? that cut and dry. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the the web series, uh, where are you? Where are you with that? I'm about halfway through. Um, with it being called Two Weeks to Paradise, I always imagined that it would be 14 episodes and that it would kind of roll out in real time. Yeah. That may or may not be true at this point. Um, but I'm on about episode eight, um, and it's an ensemble cast of uh, this woman named Deanna, who's uh, who's about like 37, mm-hmm. and her dad drops dead. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was doing Tough Mudder and, you know, he was getting into being a vegan and all this stuff, never a smoker. And it's just a tragic loss. Yeah. And, and she doesn't know how to deal with grief. Um, and so her, the ensemble of people around her at work, her friends, her family, her estranged brother. And then the, the odd one out, the, the weird element is that um, I was really taken with um, my own family's uh, the, the way that a lot of my family dealt with my brother's death was actually leaning on religion mm-hmm. um, because my step family is, uh, is very religious yeah. and it's always been something very fascinating to me because I am not religious mm-hmm. um, but that they could find solace mm-hmm. and they could find um, a different resource than I did mm-hmm. to deal and so I delve into that, and that's where the, the paradise part comes in, is right. that um, Deanna, the lead character, she prays for the first time since she was a little girl, um, because her, her father was religious, and he was named Michael after, after the Archangel Michael, and he prayed every night, and she didn't really get it, and when she grew up, she kind of gave it up, and whatever, like the secular society that we live in. Um, so she prays for the first time, and lo and behold, an angel comes. She, they, they actually hear her prayers. The only thing is, is that this angel is not, is not anything she expects. It's, it's a, a substitute angel because she hasn't prayed in over 20 years, so she doesn't necessarily deserve to be heard by an archangel or, or anybody who actually knows what they're doing with their yeah. wings. So Tony Tony shows up and he's like this liver-spotted angel of a, of a old man and it's hilarious and wonderful and hopefully all of the above. And yeah, and it's it's their her, her foray into depression and, and grief and bereavement and, and finding out that a lot of her friends um, admit to her about their... There, there are struggles as well. Mm-hmm. It, it is interesting how when when you experience a loss of some kind, mm. other people share theirs. Oh. Yeah. 
Oh, oh. There were so many, and I'm sure you can speak to this as well, uh, with the show that we just worked on, um, but that everything but the cat, I would have to stay at least as long as the show, post-show, because people wanted to share, people wanted to connect, people wanted to just shake my hand, people wanted to give me a hug, people wanted to say... I've been there, it gets better, yeah. or, or even the fact that it doesn't get better, but you learn to live with it. Like, yeah. like there were all these parting messages and just needing to connect. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think that if I, if I hadn't been performing that, that show, The Commandment, in, at a fringe festival, where it's like, everybody out, we gotta yeah. switch out, it, I think it would have been a lot longer. It's lovely. Yeah, it is. It's really good. It's really amazing when you uh, touch people in that way. Absolutely. A lot of the time uh, when we went to high schools, um, it was it was it was really wonderful that these teenagers, uh, you know, that the stereotype is that you know they don't want to share with adults and like you know you don't know me, you're not my mom, and yeah. all this blah blah blah. Um, but that after the show, a lot of the time, I had a lineup. Mm-hmm. of kids who wanted to talk to me or yeah. just, you know, give me a high five or just be like, mm-hmm. that was great, thanks yeah. for not talking down to me and, and the well, like. Well, you know, I think that there, that, you know, there, you, you occupied an interesting place in the building when you were performing that show because you were being, one, really honest and two, not sugarcoating and not talking down to them. I think that a lot of kids right now are spending a lot of time being talked down to yeah. and uh, treated a certain way not quite treated like people so. yeah and it's it's always really hard to remember that Andrew was only 22 mm-hmm. and that these kids who are making the transition from high school to university are in the same trappings that he felt mm-hmm. he himself was in yeah. and that he felt trapped mm-hmm. and yeah. that to speak to that and I think that was something that really allowed these kids to, to either speak up to me um, or I heard from some teachers that they spoke about it um, several days afterwards mm-hmm. um, that they needed to digest it and they yeah. needed to talk about it because yeah. it's heavy, it's really heavy you know, yeah. Yeah. suicide is <laughs> it is, it is heavy it, 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 uh, I've known people who are depressed in the past, and they, you know, to them, they would argue that it's their choice. I you don't have any right to argue with them. Oh, no, I'll argue. Would, they would be like, oh, yeah, no, you, you don't, you're not thinking about what it does. No. People don't, like, you don't realize what it does until it happens. It's very very difficult. On that note, I will share a very um, private story. The fact that when my brother passed, um, I had to call people because I was working the next day and I had to call friends to let them know not to worry about me because I was going to drop off the face of the earth for the next little while. And I phoned somebody and, and basically told them, you know, like, this is what has happened. I'm sorry, I'm phoning at, you know, 1230 in the morning. Um, you know, please don't worry. I'm okay. I'm with my family, um, and and they were like, yes, of course, of course. Thank you for calling. You know, um, just do what you need to do. Let me know if you need anything. You know, very, 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 you know, yeah. scripted. It, this is the thing that happens. Yeah. And and um, years later, years later, this person came to me and said, you know, I was very depressed, and I was in a very bad place. Mm-hmm. And then you called me at two thirty, at twelve thirty in the morning, with this, and you were crying, and I couldn't believe what had happened, and I felt so bad because I was thinking of taking my life. And you phoned me, and you were devastated, and all I could think of was, oh my God, I'm going to do this to my family, to my friends, to my circle, and I'm going to devastate them. And the next day, this person decided to get help. Hmm. And it's you know it's these little things, yeah. and yeah. and that is why I think everything but the cat and and um, you know fantastic groups like Art with Impact, yeah. um, your show The Commandment, me trying to write some things for uh, Two Weeks to Paradise. Yeah. I think 
it's a fantastic way to start that conversation. And I need to also recommend uh, Louis C.K.'s uh, Horace and Pete because, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, his transparency and authenticity was soul shattering. I, I cried so much watching that show, not just because obviously it's moving and sad, but because it was so terribly authentic that it was hard to watch um, for beautiful reasons. Um, and that being truthful will will bring truths to people's lives and will help them also see through the mark see through the muck um, and see what what you know such such terrible terrible decisions can lead to so it was really quite fascinating that that actually that actually happened (laughs) and I you know I, I still can say that, you know, I can call that friend up and be like, hey, buddy, yeah. I'm so glad you're still here, yeah. and, and, and I love you. Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's do the litany of the social media okay. for you. Yeah. So, your website? My website is adriana-prosser.com. Your Twitter? Adriana P. Your Instagram? Adriana Prosser. Um, no, I think that's that's pretty much like the big stuff. You don't yeah. want to find me on Snapchat. I'm, no, no, I'm no, so lame on Snapchat. Snapchat. It's you terrible. You find me on Pinterest, but it's all like no, puppy we are, things. We are all, number one, we are all lame on Snapchat. <laughs> Everybody's lame on Snapchat, even the people who don't think they're lame on Snapchat. Right? Sorry, people that work who use Snapchat. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, can I can I shout out the fact that I'm really excited about a new project that's yeah, coming absolutely. up? Yeah, yeah. Um, I am again. I'm moving more into social media, and I'm really excited for me working with Eldritch Theater. Yeah. They are puppet magic horror. And wait, wait. Did you say puppet magic horror? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And it's just the coolest thing in the world. Um, funnily enough, again, one of those things where you can't ever be like, oh, well, that's how that's going to work. Yeah. I saw Eric Wolf's show. He's the artistic director, and, and he, he does the puppeting and the magic and the horror. Um, and, and it was a whim. It was a date night mm-hmm. that I went with me and my partner. And, uh, and I emailed him being like, you know, that show was awesome. We've been talking about it for days. Who knew that puppet horror magic was amazing, but it is, and you are amazing. Mm-hmm. And so he wrote back. He's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. You're so nice. And, uh, and I said, you know, if you ever need any social media management kind of stuff, yeah. I would love to shout you out. And he's like, okay, I don't really know what that means. Okay, thanks, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Fine, fair enough. Yeah. Um, and then like eight months later, he calls me up and he's like, hey, so social media what? <laughs> and now I'm like helping create their branding and their tone and, and their story. Nice. And, it, and it's horror magic puppets and amazingness. Nice. And so I'm really, really excited uh, to work with them. That's great. Yeah, so coming this fall, you need to see the harrowing of Brimstone McCready, which again is cool because it's puppet horror magic and Canadian history. And These are all things I like. All the things. I know. Well, this has been great. Yay. <laughs> <laughs>